today's episode, we open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. After the miraculous victory at Jericho, the Israelites are filled with confidence, but things take a sudden turn. The chapter reveals the story of Achan, who disobeys God's command by taking forbidden plunder from Jericho. This act of disobedience brings a devastating consequence, as the Israelites suffer a defeat at the hands of the city of Ai. Joshua's bewilderment and anguish mirror the gravity of the situation, and the chapter serves as a cautionary tale about the importance of obedience and the consequences of disobedience to God's commands. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, September 25th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning to help us unpack and explore Chapter 7 is the Reverend James Helms, Jr. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. Good morning, Pastor Helms, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Now, you're brand new on the show. I asked you off the air uh, if you'd been on any of the KFO shows, and you say this is your first, and so I am excited to have you on. Um, Maybe just share with the folks at home and and me a little bit about who you are and how God is working through you and the congregants there at Holy Cross. Uh, Sure. Well, originally I'm from the, the state of New York, western New York, not not the city we grew up where cows are so then we came down <laughs> people yeah. forget that though they they think new york and they just think of new york city but there's a ton of new york that isn't the city oh yeah uh so i was at college in new york and had someone who came to the university from the the city new york city and was amazed to see cows and squirrels for the first time <laughs> I, I guess there's a place in the city with no squirrels Interesting. Anyways, <laughs> so we moved down here to Maryland, uh, and while I was down here, I ended up going to uh, a non-Lutheran seminary. Don't judge me. It was a weird time. Uh, but halfway through seminary, eventually realized, I don't actually believe what you guys are teaching. So yeah, found myself in a Lutheran church, and uh, eventually... Well, at least you realized before, program. you know... Well, I Sorry to interrupt, but at least you realized before, you know, it was... You were embedded and you had a pension and a paycheck as a, as whatever <laughs> yeah. kind of pastor. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, I went to a Baptist seminary and it drove me away from Baptist theology. Well, you know, uh, it's but... interesting. Well, actually, it's interesting you say that. When I was in college and had decided to go to seminary in general, my atheist advisor told me that if he goes, do you like being a Christian? And I said, well, I, I guess. And he said, well, if you go to seminary, you'll definitely won't be a Christian anymore. Now, that certainly did not turn out to be true, but maybe he was thinking of the Baptist seminary. I don't know, but we they love our did, we love uh, our Baptist friends out there, but still. They they did have a mandatory reading called How to Stay Christian in Seminary. Uh, Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, well, let's let's think about it actually for just a second because I mean, when you start digging in to how the Bible was transmitted, when you dig into the Greek and the Hebrew, I think it can be a little bit challenging to someone's faith, because mm-hmm. I don't know, I think an, an infant faith sort of believes that all of it just kind of fell from heaven in this perfect condition, but when you realize that 
It takes a lot of scholarship and hard work and faithfulness of believers to pass these messages down. I think I think people's faith can be challenged. That's fair. Oh yeah, the uh, what the book primarily spoke to was uh, something that I struggled with was when you start diving deep, deep, deep into the word at seminary. Sometimes it can just start to feel like a job or just a topic, and not oh, you know sure. maybe. You know, like that, like it says in the book of Revelation, forget the love you had at first. Um, the best advice I had going into seminary was no matter what you're doing, whether you're a student or a pastor, you know, set aside time to read something from the Bible that has nothing to do with your sermon that week, because then you keep it from turning into a chore. That's that was mostly what the book was about. Well, that is good advice. In fact, some of the advice, you know, I always talk about is, as a pastor, be careful that you're not always in the Word for someone else. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we're always in the Word for preparing for radio shows or Bible studies or sermons, but how often are we in the Word just for ourselves? And I, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's good. Exactly. Well, hey, I, I got you off track. I'm sorry. Keep telling us a little <laughs> bit more about yourself. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, so I went through uh, the colloquy program. Part of the requirement uh, that the committee gave me was they said, okay, you have to take a year-long part-time vicarage, which there was a church in the area that didn't have a pastor. Their pastor had recently retired. And so they said, well, you're going to be the vicar here and you're going to serve them and your circuit visitor is going to be your supervisor. And so I was here for a year. And then after that time, they decided they wanted to convert it. And so I converted from their vicar to their pastor. And then I didn't have to tell them I'm not a pastor anymore when they kept calling me pastor instead of vicar. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then, so here I am and I'm actually bivocational here. I retained my, uh, I guess we'll call it, <laughs> I want to say civilian job because that's how I thought when I was in the reserves in the army. Sure, but sure. Uh, yeah, so I've kept my, my non-pastor job. And then as a, just a part-time, I <laughs> part-time with air quotes, I serve the church preaching and visiting the sick. Wow, excellent. That's wonderful. That is great. And so that congregation you are now serving? Yes. Oh, okay. Good, good. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, any uh, wife or kids? I miss that. Yes, I have a wife of 13 years now. Wonderful. Yes, 13 years. <laughs> hope I got that right if she's listening. Oh, and she'll be listening. <laughs> and I have three children. They actually are away right now. They're visiting family up in New York. So I'm hanging oh. here by my lonesome right now. So, uh, well, go. I'm glad that you've carved out some of that bachelor time to spend with us and uh, get into <laughs> Joshua sure. chapter 7. Um, before we do anything, though, one of the things I like to ask of guests is if they could start our time together in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do that. Please lead us in prayer as we begin. Of course. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the ability to come together peacefully and study your word. It is something that we can easily take for granted. There are so many brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that cannot peacefully do what we do here today. Uh, pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon them to guard them and keep them steadfast in the faith so that one day we will stand together before Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are at chapter 7, and spoiler alert, the ESV editors call this section Israel Defeated at Ai. Um, but we uh, will talk about exactly how that goes down, but before we even do that, 
you know, maybe catch us up a little bit. What happened in six and uh, in the, some of maybe a little bit previous to get us to where we are now? Of course, yeah. So backing up into the last few verses of chapter six, so we, you know, they took down Jericho, they marched around, the walls came tumbling down, and they've wrecked Jericho, which was one of the most formidable cities in the area. Uh, we had the two spies that went and got uh, Rahab and her family. They they escaped alive because if they helped the spies. And then it ends here with verse 26 and onward. Joshua actually laying down a curse on anybody who tries to rebuild the city. His firstborn shall be, sorry, at the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, shall he set its gates. And I can't remember the citation right now. It escapes me. But I know that actually is recorded as happening. Someone rebuilds the city and uh, it actually cost him his sons. That's going to bug me now. I can't remember the citation. Uh, Well, we'll figure it out before the end of the show, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Uh, and that's seen throughout the book of Joshua. Everyone's terrified. Oh, no, these people have come and they're just conquering. Uh, so nat- naturally, the people of Israel, they are feeling very confident having taken down such a formidable enemy, of course, with the Lord at their side. And naturally, they're going to think we can take on anybody at this point. All right. Well, that's where we're at. I, by the way, um, I I have that reference. It's 1 Kings 16.34. Um, it comes into play when a man named um, Hiel, or Hiel rebuilt the city and lost his firstborn and youngest sons in the process. It says in those verses, in his days, uh, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, and he laid its foundation at the cost of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of its youngest son, Segub, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So you're right, yeah, it comes into play, and um, it's just amazing when that happens. Of course, when it's God's word, it's bound to happen, but it's just great when we yeah. have those records and we can make those connections. So, yeah, oh, yeah. The, chapter 6 ends, so Yahweh was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. I'm going to go ahead and start on chapter 7, reading from the ESV. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, or Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of Yahweh burned against the people of Israel. You know, it's just one verse, but let's stop right there. <laughs> we, we begin with this section saying, you know, but, but, the people, right, you have Joshua and his fame, but the people... They started coveting the devoted things. They took some of those things, and Yahweh was angry. Um, help us understand this a little bit. You know, you know first of all, we, they were forbidden to do this, uh, but mm-hmm. they did anyway. Kind of, what's this, what's this establishing as we head into Israel's defeat here? So the interesting thing to me, so I read this, it doesn't say that anybody did anything in particular, it just starts right off, you know, uh, well, the chapter itself up front. But the people broke faith in regard to the devoted things. The the people, plural, everybody broke faith. Why? And then it gives a name for one person, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zedai, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So to me, this 
this flies in the face of what a lot of people would think today in America. We're not as um, corporate, I would say, as some cultures are. Maybe that's not the right word. You know, we we're more individualistic in thought than than other uh, societies are. But you know, the whole of Israel broke faith with the Lord, yeah. not because everybody did something, but because one man among them did so. Wow! And that makes me think of. You know, this idea of original sin. We are all born dead in sin. Why? Because the first man, Adam, he sinned. And so now everyone is guilty. And so here we see that continuation of the idea of corporate sin. Uh, yes, Achan's the guy who actually went and took the stuff. But because he took it, now the Lord's anger is against the whole of the people of Israel. I think it also speaks a little bit as you talk about the corporate nature of their society. The I, I, I'm trying to think of the word too. I don't know that that's it either. But just the uh, more communal nature. But there was a sense of responsibility for one another, right? Am I my mm -hmm. brother's keeper? Yes, <laughs> you know you are um, supposed to help your brother. And so I, I wonder if it's giving us a little insight into whatever's going on was well known and tolerated by the people. And so. Again, a little bit of speculation, but still. And, and, and what I found fascinating is that the Hebrew word used here for broke, breaking faith is ma'al. And in Numbers, that's the word used to talk about adultery. So it's not just that he stole something, but it's spiritual adultery against uh, Yahweh. And what is, I, what is adultery but another way of looking at idolatry? You know, what is adultery to look to someone other than who is your wife? And, uh, you know, what is idolatry to look to someone other than your God right, for, right. for what and only should come from God? Yeah, and it has a lot of things uh, wrapped up into it. We, if we just look at it purely Ten Commandments-wise, right, it's it's coveting that which you don't have. It's, it's uh, destroying—of course, I'm talking about adultery in terms of human adultery, but it's destroying um, the lives of people, Fifth Commandment. It's stealing things that you don't— possess you know and of course in this case we add in it's a uh, um, violation of the first commandment and the second and third too yeah. and so uh yeah it's all wrapped up in here it's just a really horrible thing well let's uh let's go in to chapter 7 verse 2 joshua sent men from jericho to ai which is near beth Evan, east of bethel and he said to them go up and spy out the land and the men went and spied out ai and they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of Yahweh until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. Pausing right there at the end of 6. You know, we, we're right in the middle of the action here. But what we see here is they go up and they say, you know, what? They're just coming off the highs of Jericho. <laughs> yeah. We can, 
Did you see what we did at Jericho? Now, that's not what it says, but, you know, just yeah. knowing human nature, it's probably oh, like, yeah. hey, look, we, we were able to take Jericho, no problem. These people are nothing. So not only is there this spiritual adultery, but perhaps there's a little bit of already forgetting the, the rescue of God, right? That's something common amongst the people. Oh, yeah, definitely. They were quite, they're quite confident after Jericho. I, quite frankly, if I were in there, so something that comes to mind here is um, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, I do not know anything against me yet i'm not therefore acquitted you know ignorance is not an excuse right. of the law like they they aren't aware of the fact that the lord's wrath is against them right now. Like, they don't know I mean, okay aiken knows and you can make an argument probably some of his family knows uh but generally speaking probably the whole of israel joshua and the leaders they they don't know uh they, they have no idea they think they still have all this blessing like they did at jericho um, so of course, naturally they're going to go, cause they can't, we, we're going to have a problem here. Why do we need to send everybody? Just send a couple of people. Not, this is not a big, right. big deal. Uh, tourist turns out that it was it, a big deal. Do you think it's uh, significant at all that Joshua did not consult God before this decision? I mean, I'm thinking back to, you know, um, when we were studying, uh, how King Saul did things and versus how yeah. King David did. Um, and I know, of course, that's a different narrative order, but but still, I, do you think that has anything to do with that? Uh, obviously, the text is going to tell us very clearly that the issue is Achan's sin, but at the same yes. time, Joshua is kind of doesn't seem to be consulting God about these things. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that doesn't uh, have anything to do with no, it. I think that's a pretty good uh, assumption that he did not because, you know, had he gone and sought the Lord's advice on this— he would have known that they would have been in trouble going against I. Um, it's the had so the fact that he didn't know that tells me that suggests to me that he probably didn't seek God's wisdom. And we're, you know, we're going to see that elsewhere in Joshua, for example, when uh, the people who live nearby they come saying, Oh, well, we come from afar. What was it? Um, can't remember the name of the people they come and they say, We live near, we live far away make peace with us and joshua replies well how do we know you don't live around here because we're not supposed to make peace with anybody who lives in the land and he doesn't talk to god first or doesn't ask god's uh, advice on this first and then he ends up making peace with somebody he's not supposed to so it's not mm -hmm. the only time we see joshua do that and it's not the only time we see anybody in the bible not yeah. doing that and it never it usually doesn't go well just like it doesn't go well here you know, there's, there's something to be said there uh, before you do anything, read your Bible twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That I like that. You know, the the, the old carpenter thing. You know, uh, measure twice, cut once. Well, exactly. You know, read your Bible twice and decide once. Uh, you know, I, and I wonder. We see here too, and it says, and I just I, I I love the way that the Old Testament speaks. It's so cathartic. It's so earthly. Uh, and even the English translation here is great. It says the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I just, I love that visual imagery. I've, I've been distraught where I could really mm -hmm. identify with that feeling. But do you think that has anything to do with the fact that IE or I, um, the name literally means ruins. It's named that because while it was once a big fortified city, it probably wasn't by this time when they went and spied it out. 
their human assessment was probably correct. You know, if well, God had not been against them, they probably, 3,000 men probably would have taken care of it. But the fact that, and they, and not all of them knew, but the fact that God was against them. So it goes to show you that even if something is within your human effort, even if it's within your ability, but it's not God's will, then you're not going to prevail. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did skip ahead. Uh, spoiler alert. The, the, it was the Gibeonites, the ones I was referring to. Where he ah, nice. did not, he did not seek. That's a chapter nine, uh, not to you know, not to jump at anybody else, <laughs> but that's not my chapter. But any, that's those are the people <laughs> that he did not seek the Lord's uh, advice before making peace with them, and it is a making friends with people he's not supposed to. Uh, well, and again, it's just it's something that is in all of our natures. We take for granted the blessings that God gives us. You know, as they were leaving yeah. Israel, all the amazing things that God did to rescue them from sin. Uh, or actually, pardon me, from slavery to the Egyptians. And then, of course, they continue to rebel against him, even to the point where they, mm-hmm. you know, by the time of Jesus, they're like, we've never been enslaved to anyone. You know, <laughs> what What do you say in sl- be freed from slavery? I've never heard of an Israelite yeah. being enslaved to anyone. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Because they forget their own history. And we do, too. I'm not picking on anybody. I, I'm including us in this because that seems mm-hmm. to be the fickleness of our faith. That is always the danger to look back at, you know, hindsight's 2020. We can look back and say, I mean, what were they doing? Why wouldn't they just ask God's advice every single time? Oh, I would have done that. But I mean, like, like you're saying, they just took down Jericho with the hope of the Lord. They look at I, I mean, why would they even consider this to be a problem? I, I, I think most people would be fully capable of that mistake of not seeking the Lord's advice because it's just a small city. Uh, but that just proves all the more that it was such a small city and they were not able to overcome it to say, Oh yeah, there's definitely something wrong here. And it's only afterwards that they end up going to the Lord about it. You know, what happens next is something I would love to see from our own secular leaders. Um, just this idea, this this visual repentance and penitence as they realize that Yahweh has set himself against them. Uh, verse 6, I'm going to read through verse 9. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of Yahweh until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord Yahweh, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now, pausing there. You know, it sounds like he's being very accusatory toward God, and, and I think part of his sinful nature is, but what he's doing is he's recognizing who is in control. So even if he doesn't have the whole perspective right, it's just, boy, haven't we, haven't we lost this understanding, especially in our secular world today, that God is in control? Could you imagine if our leaders, when they recognize they've sinned against God, but they don't know what's going on to actually repent and turn to God in prayer publicly? Uh, oh, it just it would be it would be amazing. Things would be so much better, I think. But but here we are. That's what Josh is doing. Um, but he doesn't quite have it right. Typically, as, as we've seen time and again, he's kind of putting it back on God saying, wait a minute. 
you know, we miss the flesh yeah. pots of Egypt, you know. <laughs> Don't we all do that? Oh, yeah. Don't we all do that? Even, uh, especially in times of suffering, when you know, we lose a loved one, or, you know, that's that's something I think about when I read texts like this, the, the 30-something, the men who die in the battle that I, you know, would those people have died anyways in the battle? I don't know. You know, having that military background, yeah, I think of, you know, when, when someone's loved one dies in, in combat, they want to know that they were fighting for a good cause. And just to, you know, I try to imagine everybody's got a mother and that mother is standing at the sideline and she finds out, you're telling me my, my son died in battle because this guy over here, we're not, we're not to the part where Aiken's been revealed yet, but like, because this guy over here took goal he wasn't supposed to take. And so I'm sure everyone's upset. It, it, a loved one dies, you start looking to God and say, God, why? Why is why couldn't this be stopped? Why couldn't we do more? And you start just pointing a finger at God, like, how come you didn't fix this? And I'll say more about that as we get into the next verses starting at uh, 10, but that, that's well, you, just all too common. Well, you talked about um, being in the service. Which service did you were you in, by the way? I was in the Army Reserves. Oh, okay. So could you imagine, could you imagine after uh, um, a, a drill or even a, an attack, uh, an incursion, something goes bad. Could you imagine your commanding officer coming up and saying, guys, and he's, he's got dust on his head and his, his uniform is torn. And he's like, guys, we got to go pray. We have to go <laughs> and we need to pray and we need to ask the Lord to be with us and guide us and direct us. Oh my goodness! Oh, but in any case, uh, yeah, we won't we won't get too much into that. Not common. <laughs> we'll just let that hang in the air. But you know, we see here though that they are responding. They're prostrating themselves before the Lord. They're lamenting over their defeat. But Joshua's prayer, and it's interesting, and it sounds almost sinful to us. And I'd like to hear your mm -hmm. opinion on it. But he appeals to God's own reputation. You know, he says, mm -hmm. you know, the Canaanites and the inhabitants, they're going to hear of this and they're going to surround us and they're going to cut off our name from the earth. But then he says, and what will you do for your great name? It's almost mm -hmm. sounds, it almost sounds manipulative. I think of David, like who can, who will praise you from the grave, right? So keep me alive so I can keep praising you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. How can we best understand that? It is Joshua. You know, has he gone too far in that statement, or is it is it is it natural? I think, you know, sin is also in the heart, not just you know the in the external. It, who know, it's very possible that in saying this, he could also be thinking things that are much more simple than what he's saying, or maybe his intentions are really good. I do think, to some extent, in every situation, there's always. There's, there's always a good cause to look to God and just ask him to be who he is. I mean, God, he doesn't, he isn't aware of Achan's sin at this point. And so what he sees is they took down Jericho and then I defeat them. I think it'd be personally a perfectly reasonable to look to God and say, God, didn't you say that we would crush our enemies? What gives? What's going on with our defeat here? How could this happen? Uh, that... Yeah, at this point, it's not like a Job sort of, you know, yeah. I demand answers. It's really more of a, well, I'm relying on your promises, and obviously we've done something wrong, but I don't know what it is. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you just praying to God, God, be, be faithful. You said that you would be faithful. Please be who you are and be faithful. That's a prayer that's always good to have. Now, can it sometimes be manipulative uh, in the certain circumstances? Yes. Maybe there, may, somebody might be misquoting or misconstruing something that God has said in his word. But in this case, I don't think it's unreasonable for him to be looking to God and thinking, hey, what, what gives? What's, why, why have we been defeated if you're here with us? I think that's fair. I mean, God is, of course, our Heavenly Father. He knows all things. He can't be manipulated no matter how we try. So yeah. when we speak frank to him out of our emotions, that I, I don't believe that's offensive to God. Mm -hmm. You know, even when people lose a loved one, as you mentioned earlier, and they come to me, and I know they come to you, and they say, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just angry at God. That doesn't really bother me that much because, it, again, it recognizes who's in control. And I wouldn't want them to be angry forever, but in the moment, God can take it, right? God's their father. Yeah. He can take their anger. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we take a break, and when we come back, folks, we're going to keep on going. We're going to pick up. Yahweh's going to reveal to Joshua exactly why he has set his face against them for the moment. But you'll have to hear that when we return. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boone. With me today is the Reverend James Helms, Jr., pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. But before we get back to the text, I just want to take this time, as I like to do, to thank you for being in God's Word with us this morning or, or whenever you're listening. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can reach me on Facebook. You can also reach me at pastorboo at gmail.com for a little while longer. I do have a new email address that I'm going to be using. I'm not ready to announce it yet, but you can drop a note just to say hi if you want, or well, you know, you can message me on Facebook. When you do, though, let me know where you're listening from, how you connect to the show, whether it's over the air or as a podcast or online at kfuo.org. Now, back to the Bible. So we are coming in to the second, verse 10, and this is where God is going to reveal himself um, in response to the plea that we just heard from Joshua. Yahweh said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. 
I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that Yahweh takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that Yahweh takes by, uh, sorry, takes shall come near by households, and the household that Yahweh takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of Yahweh and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. All right, so that's the end of verse 15. So uh, he says, Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen? Israel has sinned. He, he, in case there's any sort of misunderstanding, Joshua, that you think this is my fault, God says, yeah. uh, here's a big list of all the things you guys are doing. But we do that, don't we? As we I said do. earlier, I'm, I comfort people with them knowing that God can take it when they're mad at him. But at some point, they have to come around to the realization that, yes, God is in control, but he certainly, um, unfortunately for us sometimes, gives us the desires of our heart. And if we turn our hearts against him or disobey his commands, we can expect that he's going to, well, things aren't going to go well. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. It makes me think back to the idea of, you know, when, when you lose a loved one, uh, it, our family, you know, we, we, one of my, my children recently lost their cat. Uh, it, hmm. You know, I see the sad faces on my children. You know, it, yes, it was a cat, but it was their cat. So they're sad. You know, it was easy yeah. to look to God and say, God, why couldn't I have done more to save my children's cat? Now they're sad. I don't want them to be sad. Why couldn't I save this cat? And then I'm actually sitting down and reading this text and it just this epiphany, you know, people do that with their, you know, with friends and family all the time. When a person dies, they look to God and they God, why couldn't I save them? Why is there to be death? Why couldn't you fix this? And I can almost hear God saying, um, I, sin's not my fault. The world's right. broken and there's death in the world. It's not my fault that there is death in the world. Now, now people die. This is the, this is, you know, one man's sin, one man sins, and now there is sin in all the original sin. It, it this that's what I see going on here. Achan, or sorry, not Aiken, Joshua, is speaking to God in prayer and say, God, what's going on? Why would this happen? And God turns around and said, I would argue, considering the situation, a very gentle way, says, "Hey, um, this is because Israel sinned, so." I'm st I'm still being faithful to you and everything that I said. It's Israel that has broken faith with me. And sometimes let's talk a, a little. Hmm? No, I'll just say I, I was going to say let's talk a little bit about those things though. The 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 sin that they actually committed was that they had started to hoard some of the things, valuable things, I'm sure, that were mm -hmm. devoted to destruction. Back in Joshua six, right? They were devoted to destruction. He says, "Don't." Don't take any of this stuff. We're going to destroy it. So I think this also speaks larger into our own lives because there are things, even things of the earth, even natural things that God has, well, devoted to destruction or more accurately <laughs> has told us um, these are not for you. These are not good for you. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's a physical thing. Uh, oh, maybe yeah. it's, uh, you know, who knows what it is. It's all kinds of things that God says. Sometimes 
with his reasoning being hidden to us, you know, <laughs> this is not for you to do. And yet it almost makes it because of our sinful concupiscence, it almost makes it more appealing. Mm. I mean, so in their case, looking at it from a purely human point of view, here is, I don't, let's just say here's a, a golden, a golden statue. And its value is because it's uh, it's, it's precious metal. And, and mm. you're looking at that and you're like, man, it's just a shame that God's going to destroy that. You know, I could use that and, uh, uh, sell it and and buy buy uh, buy buy food for the poor. I don't know. I'm thinking yeah. of Judas, but you know, we 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 think sometimes that we can second guess what God's will is and that we know better, and that's exactly what's happening. You know, it makes me think of uh, so my you know my pre theological career, accounting and finance, and part of that I had to take training in identifying fraud and uh, things like that embezzlement and a, you know a fir- person's first uh, offense often it's against a huge corporation and that's just how they think you get yep it's it sounds like a lot of money what Aiken took but compared to all of the the gold and everything that you know most of it was were destroyed but then you know things like gold was taken into the treasury of the lord right it probably didn't seem like that much like when when a company is raking in, let's say, you know, two hundred million dollars of revenue a year, if you steal a couple hundred here and there, it doesn't feel like you're hurting anybody. You can you can work it out in your brain to say this is a victimless crime. I'm not really hurting anybody, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's still a crime, right? And that's right. it's so easy for us to do. And again. We have to be careful looking back at Aiken. We could just say, oh, that was such a stupid thing to do. You were told not to do this. Why did you yeah. do it? But, I mean, we do it all the time. It's just human nature. Every, no one's immune to it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, isn't that true? as simple as, you know, just slacking off at work. You're, yeah, nobody's going to notice. That, well, it, it, Luther taught that, you know, if, if you're a slacker at work, you're stealing your employer's time. Yeah, we have to do the right thing, even if we, you know, even if we don't think that anyone's watching, or we don't think it's going to be missed, or we don't think that anyone's going to notice. Um, that's the difference, I believe, in the life that we're called to lead. We're to call, we're called to take our own human reasoning and 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 justification for things and compare those to what God wants, and of course, submit to God's will. His will is mm-hmm. is is greater. But no, that idea, and this is pervasive in our society today, that the rich or the powerful, whether it's a nameless uh-huh. corporation or even an individual, that they somehow yeah. deserve to have bad things happen to them because of oh, their yeah. financial situation. They have situation. so much money. What's, what's it matter if I take just a little bit of it? Well, it's still stealing. Exactly, exactly. Well, God is not playing around because he says, um, you know, I've told them not to do this, so— the people of Israel are not going to be able to stand before their enemies because they turn their back, etc. Then he says, uh, I'm not going to be with you anymore unless you destroy the devoted thing. So the things that I have devoted to destruction that you took, they're still going to get destroyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so now consecrate the people. So he did. I guess he probably got up there and told everybody, consecrate yourselves. Yahweh's coming. And, and then there's this sort of... Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess by tribes and by by 
lots, clans, yeah. that sort of thing. So take us through this. How, how is God going to rectify this situation? Well, back up at, uh, at verse 16, what stands out to me is, so early in the morning, I, I just love that. It's something small. Most people will probably just read it, but I hear that and I say, you know, this, this is a sign of Joshua's leadership. He has faults. We were just talking about one. He didn't seek the Lord's advice or counsel before going against the the other people, and they ended up getting in trouble for it. But this is definitely one of his uh, better qualities. He didn't he didn't wait. He didn't mess around. The Lord said, "Do this thing." He got right up and he just he did it early in the morning. So, well, let's read let's read read those verses. We haven't read them yet, so I'm going to read oh, sixteen <laughs> through. 21. Happens all the time. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to Yahweh, God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. Now, I, I, I'm going to pause there right in the middle of the action. Uh, I think if I were reading this for the very first time and had no understanding of what was going on, my expected response from Achan, just because of my own experience with my own human nature— <laughs> Is I think he would try to deceive. Uh, I think he would try to deceive uh, Joshua. I think he would lie about. Yeah, it. I've but he heard, doesn't. <laughs> I've heard good and bad things regarding Aiken in this situation. Um, I would be jumping. Well, I would be jumping ahead but once well, again. Let's read it. What you haven't read yet. No, let's read it. Let's see what he has to okay. say. But I just wanted to pause there for a second to say, you know, anticipate what you think he's going to do, um, <laughs> yeah. and let's see. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against Yahweh God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. All right, now we're going to stop there. Joshua is going to be sending some folks to go look at those things, and more things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. But so far, I don't know. To me, it seems like Aiken is being pretty straightforward. I mean, I could imagine if I went to one of yeah. my kids who sinned against me, and I say, listen, all right, what'd you do? And then they'd literally tell me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that happen. Sometimes mine do. Sometimes they, they don't. Usually <laughs> they do. i got pretty good kids. Well, that's good. Oh, you say my kids aren't good. All right, great. Thanks. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm I'm, kidding. I'm, okay. <laughs> no, I well actually how old are your kids? You didn't say earlier. Uh my oldest is eight and uh she's going to stay eight. I've already told her it's a cap, she's not having any more birthdays. <laughs> uh and then they are five and two. Oh yeah, they're real good at those ages. I have a twelve year old daughter going on twenty five and a almost sixteen year old son who's uh a wonderful teenager, we'll say that. <laughs> I love them. I love them both. But you know, you, all these different stages throughout life, it's just great. But uh, dealing with teenagers and preteens, it's <laughs> it's its own new adventure for sure. But anyway, no, you know, yeah. obviously, kids want to try to get away with it if they can. Um, and when they don't, when they're pretty, when they know they're gotten, they know they're gotten. And I, I'm assuming at this point, especially with the 
uh, pomp and circumstance surrounding the way that Aiken was revealed, he knows he's gotten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be it would so do the, no good for him to hide anything. Go ahead. Yeah. Bro. So there, there's the the good and the bad. So on the bad end, I've heard I've heard it said, and to, to a large degree, I do believe this. I've heard it said Aiken didn't really confess as much he just got caught. And in that sense, I mean, we reread this, he knows what he did was wrong. And here we got all this pomp and circumstance. You could call it they're they're you know casting lots against all these people. And over there was plenty of time for him to save everybody a whole lot of hassle and just come forward and say, Yeah, I did it. And but but he doesn't. He just stands around with everybody else until he finally gets mm. caught. But so that in that sense, yeah, shame on shame on him. No, that's that is well, I just want to reflect on that for a second. I want to reflect on that for a second because I that's something I guess escaped me because you're absolutely right. You know, he could have, as soon as they started lining people up, say, you know what, I'm going to save you the trouble. But I think the problem is, and maybe this is where you're going, but the problem is the penalty is really severe. Oh, yeah. But to his credit, when he was final, when he knew that he'd been found out, when the he, I, I imagine, I, I think we can easily imagine, oh, he's probably hoping on the off chance maybe it wasn't him. Maybe somebody's, and again, it goes to the whole idea. He thought he was just skimming a little bit off the top. It wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe he's hoping that there's somebody who sinned worse than him, and so he's not actually the problem. Maybe we can kind of imagine maybe that's what he's thinking. But once mm-hmm. he found out, yep, it's me. Then, to his credit, he does come completely clean, even to the point where he tells him, you know, exactly where it is, how he's arranged it under the tent. He he gives them the whole nine yards, full complete confession. So that's well, the good and the bad I've heard about him. I think they're both valid things to say. Uh, ultimately, he does give the full confession, which is good. Well, let's hear what happened next. It'll be the rest of our text for this morning, starting with verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before Yahweh. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? Yahweh brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then Yahweh turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. So I think we have some um, opportunities and some, maybe even some desire for theodicy here because God, because this guy stole something that was going to be destroyed, destroyed the man, his children, his animals, his possession, and everything that he had. That is a severe consequence, um, but I, obviously we cannot say it's unjust because it's God who dispensed the judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely harsh for our modern sensibilities. I mean, oh my goodness, how could he do that? Uh, 
but that's how sin sin works. And I've heard people, you know, they they'll go back and forth. Oh, I wonder if his family knew. Uh, maybe his family knew. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I think it's reasonable to to think that probably some of his family knew. I mean, how would you hide that in your tent? Uh, but at the end of the day, it's even though Achan was the one who sinned, remember headship is a thing in the Bible. You know, Adam sinned and it's easy for a lot of people to reject original sin by saying, so you're telling me everyone's condemned to eternal damnation because this one guy sinned. Well, yeah, that's, that's how it works. So Achan stole what was devoted to the Lord and in doing so devoted himself to destruction and along with him, all that belonged to him, including his family and his his beasts and all that he owned. Uh, that's and how the reason, it works. Yeah, and the reason I said earlier is we we sort of crave for a theodicy for the folks at home. You know, a theodicy is whenever we try to get God off the hook. Like he does something that we think that maybe he should have done differently, which of course is sinful in and yeah. of itself, and then. We try to say, well, maybe the family knew, as you said, and they're, they're equally guilty or well. But I think in these cases, instead of coming up with the odysseys to get God off the hook, we just have to speak just what our guest spoke here and say, this is God's judgment. Sin is extremely yeah. serious to him. We live in a culture now that thinks sin, partly because I guess we have that forgiveness of Christ, but we, I think we tend to start thinking sin is just trivial. Well, well, Christ forgave it, or Jesus will forgive me. Mm-hmm. That might be true, but sin is extremely serious before God, and we should know that. The death of Christ is a uh, uh, an eternal and universal scandal that we own because it didn't need to happen except for our sin. And mm-hmm. so sin is terrible, and this just, I think, if nothing else, reminds us of how vicious and and destroying sin is we don't have any right to blame god he's god and in every situation uh, we have to remember even if something seems harsh to us like this you know god in every situation we can usually think of ways god would have been completely just in doing even more i mean think think back to the garden of eden god would have been completely just to just put adam and eve to death right then and there could could it, he still would have been holy and righteous, but he chose to be merciful. Uh, God is good, and sometimes things seem harsh, but even when he does what seems harsh, we always deserve worse than we actually get. That's true, and that's true. I, you know, in, in this idea, too, is that what happened to Achan is now also established as a warning, as a, a call to remembrance, as a reminder to the people. You know, they, they, they first of all, talk about overkill. <laughs> they stone him to death. Yeah. They stone his family. Actually, they stone him to death. Then they burn him and all of his stuff with fire. And then they, after burning it with fire, they stone the family I, and the sheep. And it's just, I think there is a... I think there's a, a, an observable wrath of God being distributed by the hands of the people. I, let's talk about that for just a moment. The fact that God does his judging in this case and his dispense of judgment by means of the people stoning him. 
So the critic of the Bible would say, well, here we have a God that doesn't want to get his hands dirty, or more accurately, they would say, well, this is just the people being punitive against this man. He's a scapegoat, um, and of course, God has nothing to do with any of this because they don't believe in God. So, I mean, how do we understand God using the people to exercise this punishment? Well, first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, the old saying, God is a God who works through means. Uh, what is Israel here but the, you know, the external church of God in the Old Testament? You know, today in the church, God uses, God uses his church to discipline his people. Uh, we have pastors, elders, you know, older men and women in the faith who are there to as, as we said earlier, be our brother's keepers. Uh, if if your brother sins and you're aware of it, it's your duty to go to them and speak to them about it. That's Those are the means that God has put in place to discipline his people. And, you know, if you have someone who is unrepentant in their sin, chooses not to change their ways, and you've gone to them several times, it's the duty of the church to discipline them. And we have various means of doing that uh, but that's but those means don't include uh rocks and fire though today no <laughs> we've things have changed <laughs> well and and i would say that this this also has something to do with the fact that joshua is not just their religious leader and this isn't just the congregation of israel but this is also um the nation of god and, and so he's operating yes. what we might call today in the left-hand realm the left-hand realm yes. who does not bear the sword for nothing Yes, we uh, the church does not bear the sword. That's not our job. Exactly. Uh, but there's definitely both, you know, both the state and the church. They have a response. They are the means that which God uses to maintain order among his not only his people, the church, but among people of the world in general. Well, when we come back next time, the Lord is going to tell Joshua to head on up to I and take care of things, and things will go better for them. But is there anything else about this text uh, that you'd like to cover before we bring our show to a close today? So an insight I've heard before, uh, funny enough, it was actually an insight I got from a children's radio program that I heard, and I thought, wow, that's pretty insightful for a children's program. So Aiken, t- you know, the Bible says wealth taken through wickedness doesn't profit anything. Achan took this gold and, or sorry, was it? Okay, he took the precious metal and things that he couldn't sell it because everybody would have known where it came from. He couldn't use it because people would have seen him using it. He couldn't do anything with it. It's, it seems so, what do you, I well, wonder is what irrational. he's planning to do with it. <laughs> Right, and just to possess just, it. Yeah, he just he just had it. He wasn't going to be able to do and anything bury it. With it. <laughs> yeah, he just he's just burying it in the ground. It's as, it is as good as if he took a rock, painted it gold, and just buried a rock painted gold <laughs> in his tent. And it just yeah. you know that isn't that how it works. We we gain wealth through wickedness, thinking it's going to profit us, and it doesn't actually profit us anything. It only ever costs us. Well, I mean, at least Judas made the claim that he that you know when he was criticizing Mary for wasting so called all the ointment that he's like, well, it could have been sold for the poor. At least he was putting on a show. This guy's just like, no, it's mine. It's my precious. I'm going to bury it in my <laughs> <Yeah>. tent. <laughs> it's just it's 
that's one of the the saddest parts of it all. They really not is. he was stoned to death, and for what? You couldn't even use it. Yeah. Wow. You know, and it's such a reminder to us because sin is so irrational. And in the moment, mm-hmm. boy, it just feels like, sounds like a good idea. You know, hey, it's it's a gold bar. Why wouldn't you take it? It's silver. Why wouldn't you take it? Hey, it's a pretty Folly nice says, what was it? Use that uh, you know, bread stolen bread is sweet, but it just leads to destruction. Uh, what where's that from? The I might be mixing it's in the Proverbs. Really? Okay. I don't remember that. Wisdom first folly. Or was it was it, or was it, it was bread either the bread or the water. I mean, it was water and secret is sweet. I love Anyways, it. Anyways, either bread it. or but, water, but, you get the idea. But that's it, though. It's it. That's the yeah. that's the sentiment here. Oh my goodness. Well, anything else, brother? Before we end our show today. Thanks for having me here. All right. Well, good. Well, that's how we'll end it. I'd like to thank the Reverend James Helms Jr., a pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Greenbelt, Maryland. And folks, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We're going to have him back on, um, folks. Tomorrow, as we go into the next chapter. Having learned from their previous mistake at I, Joshua and the Israelites devise now a brilliant military strategy orchestrated with God's help. And this chapter narrates the successful siege of I as the Israelites employ their clever ambush tactic and the renewed confidence and unity of their Israelite army along with their adherence to God's instructions. It's going to lead to a resounding victory. We're going to talk about it and a lot more tomorrow. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thine strong word.